This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Chandar Patabiram, CMO of Koopa Software. Chandar is a longtime tech marketing veteran and a multi-time CMO. On this episode, Chandar discusses how to build a tribe and convert customers into advocates. He also talked about his stairway to heaven model for marketing and gave us some of his insights about the future of artificial intelligence in marketing. So without further ado, here's our interview with Chandar. Thanks for listening. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. I'm in studio in a little bit rainy Palo Alto, and across from me, well, kitty corner from me, Lauren Vaccarello, what's going on? Not much. I am so excited to be here today. Yeah, I am too. This is going to be a fun one. This is going to be really fun because sitting across from me, Chandar, how's it going? It's going great. It's awesome to be here. He uh, had to survive a toasty attack, but other than that, we are ready to talk a full and fun episode of Marketing Trends because we're going to be talking about building a tribe, stairway to heaven, artificial intelligence, and much much more. But first, Chandar, how'd you get into marketing? Uh, that's a great question. You know, uh, I was an engineer undergraduate and then I went to business school after that. But I've always kind of reflected back and said, careers, when you have a job or a career, it's at the intersection of passion and DNA, right? I'm passionate about being a musician, but my problem is my DNA is not that great, as, <laughs> as my wife reminds me all the time. So as I've kind of went through and you know went into management consulting and stuff, I kind of stumbled into my where my calling in life is, which is at the intersection of passion and DNA, where you have this natural born killer, killer skills and that uh, mindset. And that's why about you know, 19 years ago, I got into marketing, uh, or 18 years ago, I got into marketing. And uh, my tagline today is marketer for life. So I've been CMO here at Cooper Software, before that at Marketo, uh, CMO at Marketo, and a number of other companies before that. So it's been a great experience being a marketer, and I'm glad that uh, I found that calling. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have someone like you who's had a few cracks at being CMO, because, and especially at a company like Cooper where you're at now, which is really pushing some some innovation that's that's really cool in the market, you know, publicly traded company, obviously. And it's fun to be able to have a couple cracks at this thing, being able to have some swings at the bat and really draw those lessons. And we'll get into a bunch of those here today. Do you think that being a multi-time CMO, what was that mindset like going into going to it this most recent time? Yeah, it's a good question. What you bring with you is lots of experience and you've seen kind of seen that you bring a playbook and a framework with you. But what you got to be careful is that, you know, you can run the same plays and the same playbook in every company. So you have to have a beginner's mindset as you come into it, really understand the market, the, the, the culture, the team environment, um, you know, what works, what doesn't in terms of that particular, you know, market segment and, and a domain as such. So it's a combination of having the experience, 
having a playbook and yet be moldable and malleable to kind of, you know, contextualizing it to be successful. That's been kind of very, very good for me to have that beginner's mindset to be successful in a new environment as much as the older environments. You wrote a great article about building a tribe. To become a tech titan, you've got to build a tribe. How does building a tribe with a B2B audience differ from like a B2C audience? How does this, like, where did this kind of come about? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, building a tribe is is in software especially is, is the true differentiator for you. Because at the end of the day, you can have software capabilities in different companies. Some have one, one set of differentiators, other have another set of differentiators, and everyone claims to have that. But what truly differentiates you is your tribal community that can say that, you know, I'm passionately associated with that brand, and I'll shout from the rooftop over how great it is to be associated with that brand. Now, that is a lot easier to do in B2C because it appeals to our human needs and wants, right? We wake up thinking, I want a, a cool car, or I want to go you know, buy that you know, nice new electronic gadget. Yeah. But we don't wake up in the morning thinking, I want ERP software, or I'm passionate about buying you know, network routers or you know, CRM software. That's just not. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I wake up every morning going, you know what I really need? New ERP software. There you go. There, oh. You're an easier person, just I guess, to go to try one. Yeah, I mean, it's the classic laptop sticker, right? Is I, I mean, right now, Lauren's laptop has no stickers. Well, it's new though. It was an, it's this, a new is, this is this is a new laptop. Yeah. It has not been has not been covered yet. You can usually tell everything about me by my water bottle. That's true. Yeah. I so speaking of this, <laughs> I this quick aside, I was just at the Pardot sales kickoff, which was a ton of fun, and I didn't get a sticker for my laptop about it, which is upsetting. So I'm gonna have to ask Emily. I know you're listening out there. I need a I need a Pardot sticker. But no, this is that it's that moment, right? It's you know, am I going to wear the T-shirt? Am I going to yes. put the put mm-hmm. the sticker on my laptop and say, "Hey, this is something that I'm really I'm really passionate about, or passionate enough now, at least amount that at work I'm going to promote that this is what I'm what totally. I'm a part of." Totally, and that's why you know, for consumer companies, you know, they appeal to the emotion. You know, all great brands use emotion as a weapon of mass influence to build that relationship and that connection for life. Right? Consumer companies have had it easy because it's you know, as I said, it's easier to build that emotive connection for life. For B two B, you know, it's it's interesting that we have evolved from the, the concept of I'm going to differentiate based on feature and function to differentiate based on this whole collective community that I have. And that's the true long-term differentiator. And so there's different ways companies have, are trying to do it and different successful ways companies have done it. And I've been personally privileged to be part of a couple that has done it in a really good way. And so it's interesting to go through that and learn from that. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, it is about appealing to that emotion of, I want to be part of this cool club. And how do you create that emotion? Absolutely. And it, it lets us, it helps provide an identity for so many totally. of us. And when you put a sticker on your your laptop or you were passionate about a product that you use, whether in your personal life or your professional life, it is it is part of your identity. And I'm looking at Ian's Trailhead sticker. And what that is, is I am part of this community. This is, this is part of who I am. And I remember when you were CMO at Marketo and what Marketo has done so well is create this deep community of marketers and it gives us an identity, a home, a place to be that is more than that is more than the product. And you're right. I always say B2C marketers have it so much easier they than do, we do. They do. But bring them out to Marketo, like, you know. They're all mad listening in the car right now. They're like, <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, we love you too. You do have it tough. Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, one thing we can learn is that it's B2B or B2C, it's B2H, it's business to human, because mm-hmm. the other side of a purchase order or a customer order is a person. And, you know, going back to the point you made in Marketo, what's interesting is 
One of the core tenets of tribe building is to this adage that people don't buy what they want. People buy what they want to be. Yeah, I think about it. And I'll just kind of double click on that for a second is, you know, I'm 48 and if I go buy a sports car today, is that what I want? I can go buy any car to go from A to B, but what I want to be is 28 and yeah. have that feeling. <laughs> so that is what essentially drives that kind of you know aspect of appealing to that emotion. Now in Marketo's case, what's interesting is what they want potentially was, you know, a marketing automation software, but what they wanted to be was part of a cool club where they can be tomorrow's marketer and learn all those digital technologies. So while we were selling marketing automation, what they were buying was the marketing nation. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, so that was kind of like, you have to appeal to that intellect of, I wanna be as part of this cool club, right? And if you look at salesforce.com on the other side, how Benninghoff, so that, and Marketo, the way we built our tribe was through educational marketing. Yeah, totally. Right, right. From, from day one, even before we wrote our first line of code, John Miller, who's I think the greatest B2B content marketer ever. He's coming uh, on the show. He is. He's gonna be on soon. So yeah. great, tell him I said that, he owes me one. Um, <laughs> I know he's probably listening, but we wrote our first, so first line of blog, but the whole idea was to educate people to earn the right to engage. And that's kind of made the tribal community happen in Marketo's case. Absolutely, and and thinking on the tribal community on the Marketo's case, but also using Marketo as a great example that so many companies should sort of think about as well is marketing automation wasn't really even a thing. Right. And what John did well and Marketo did well was build the education, build the excitement around it, and give all of these marketers a home, a passion, something to be a part of while creating this incredible category that didn't quite exist. Right, right. And then bringing that, the, tangibilizing it, and I want to give credit to my predecessor and a great friend of mine, Sanjay Dalakia, who kind of actually tangibilized it. Because they're all feeling that I'm learning, but the marketing nation was his kind of, his kind of tangibilizing this, this one, you know, term that everybody rallied around. So that's kind of one tactic, right? Educational marketing. Well, and hold on, let me, let me, let me say one thing about that too. What, what's so funny is when we were creating this podcast, like into the, into the details of the podcast creation around this was like, this idea that, and we went, we went to the team at Pardot with this idea of like, there needs to be this thing in which CMOs can have candid discussions around real problems that they're having so that we can evangelize that it's not all sunshine and rainbows all the time. And the thing that I think, you know, working with Pardot on some of the, you know, sharing this kind of vision with them and what we were super excited about was that if we just don't if we don't provide the transparency of what people are going through it's like people are doing things for all of these different reasons people are buying for different reasons people are you know trying to find the right whatever it is right right and trying to be the 28 year old person this in the sports car and we needed to just say like hey if there's not the voice of the inner monologue the things that other people are going through then we're not really we're not really having a shared experience around this. We're kind of just working in silos. That's a great point. The shared experience is the key. And the collective we has to be smarter than the individual I. So the concept mm -hmm. is none of us is as smart as all of us. And, and that's the concept of community building. And so I talked about one angle, which was the educational marketing angle that, you know, Marketo we did. When the other angle, what we're doing at Cooper is also doing commu using community intelligence as a way of tribe building. And what I mean by that is going back to the emotion, right? The emotion in Marketo I talked about was, you 
you know, for us to be tomorrow's marketers, hashtag modern, whereas in Cooper's case, we sell to a procurement buyer. And the hashtag emotion there is I want to be strategic yeah. and mm -hmm. spend smarter. So what we've done is we've looked at a trillion dollars worth of data going across the community and then provide intelligence that benchmarks each individual customer against the collective community and saying how you're doing in terms of how you're spending, the suppliers you're working, et cetera. That's just one microcosm example where I am smarter because I'm part of this community and it helps me become better in my job. And what is what does marketing look like at Coupa? How do you, I mean, you don't need to- uh, Draw an org chart. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to <laughs> draw a proverbial org chart and, and walk through it. But, um, you know, again, this is, you've done this a few times. So when you came in, you had this kind of vision. What's your vision for, for Coupa uh, marketing? Yeah, I mean, so as we look at Coupa, like I said, all marketing starts with trying to understand emotion and before you drive a go-to-market motion. A lot of these companies do is that they drive a go-to-market motion and say, let's go drive all these plays and programs and pricing and all that good stuff. It's all important stuff. But I always go back to you know the first principle of marketing, which is what's the emotion you want to have? Yeah. So what we have done at Coupa is we've started with this concept of A, you know, who are our buyers? Because in marketing, there's no such thing called markets. Those yeah. are nebulous. Markets are not people. There's only buyers. You have to understand who your buyers are. And then what is the emotion we want to drive? For example, with Cooper, I feel dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So for a procurement buyer, it's strategic hashtag. For a finance buyer, hashtag in control, et cetera. Yeah. And then once we understand that emotion, we have now have a framework for driving our go-to-market motion. And that's what I call our stairway to heaven. Oh man, what that's a segue. There's a segue. I got to, you know, learn a little bit about Stairway to Heaven before this. I'm so excited to hear you talk about it. You're too young to know when Of it course I know Stairway <laughs> to Heaven. Yes. And initially when I saw this, I was like, was he talking about what I Oh no. This is almost more interesting. Yes. Um, <laughs> almost. Almost. Uh, it's more marketing interesting, I'll say it that. It is definitely more marketing interesting. And I do want to hear more about your music career, by the way. Yeah, I know, right? I feel like it's inspired. Yes. Um, what yes. do you play? Bohemian Rhapsody is my best song. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's not. So. <laughs> so you have talked about this in the past, this model of marketing that you call Stairway to Heaven. And, and I'll say this to our listeners, that we will link up the article in the show notes. So I know that your tent... You're out there, you know, taking notes in the gym on uh, on your phone or whatever workout workout pad. Is that a thing? <laughs> That's not a thing. Um, workout pad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. like a uh, you know, like your uh, you know, foam roll or whatever. You're like writing notes. I'm like, you're not you supposed have, to write on the foam roll. Why do you have Stairway to Heaven written on your foam roll? But so okay, you have you have this model of marketing called Stairway to Heaven. Can you explain? Uh, what yeah, this sure, is? sure. So you know, we said. Uh, like I said in the previous thing, marketing starts with understanding emotion first and then driving go-to-market motion. So emotion meaning what's that single t attribute I want to drive to build that connection? Like I said, strategic hashtag, hashtag in control. And is that like the pain point? Is that like the- It is the emotive feeling. So for example, when you think of a brand, you associate that with an attribute or a feeling, right? We're trying to capture that feeling. So if some, if a procurement executive engages with Cooper and if we can create that, ex that emotive feeling of hashtag hashtag strategic in everything we do in marketing. If you're trying to come back to that emotive feeling, then the brand association is there for life, right? So that's what we feel is a differentiating attribute for us. It is, and a lot of it for me goes back to this deep understanding of the customer. What's important to who your buyer is, totally. what matters to them? And you're 100% right for procurement professionals, it's 
I am strategic. No, I like what I do has a tremendous amount of value. <laughs> exactly. But I want to get that seat at the table. It's R-E-S-P-C-T, right? And and so from that perspective, it's it's important for us to kind of understand that that emotive feeling and then follow that up with the go-to-market motion, which I define. I mean, there's some really sophisticated frameworks, but someone, you know, simple brain as me. I refer go back to my, you know, Led Zeppelin. I used to grow up a big fan of Pink Floyd and Red Zeppelin. So 30 years later, it's a great framework for us called Stairway to Heaven. So what that means for us, if I thin slice that, is there are like four big steps up that stairway to open those gates to heaven for us. One starts, all marketing starts with awareness. And then there is acquisition, where you're having the angels of alignment between uh, sales and marketing to drive the best, you know, fastest path to the most dollars for your sales organization. And then you have the step of you know, add-on marketing, where you're taking your products to existing customers and, and, and expanding your footprint in these accounts. And then finally, the most important step is advocacy and how do you get, you know, your brand advocates to shout from the rooftop that in turn influences your prospects. So these are the four steps programmatically, and that's how we're using a framework to drive marketing at Cooper. And that's how you get marketing nirvana. So awareness, acquisition, add-on, and advocacy. Right. That's right? Okay. Right. And if you want to keep it simple in threes, we can say it's, you know, awareness, acquisition, advocacy. You want to keep it in simple threes because good things in life are threes, right? And you can always add on a four. There which you is go. Add That's on. pretty cool. Oh, well done. I'm becoming an advocate of your humor here. So. <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm not good with the witty puns. I thought, I thought you were going to say I'm not becoming that. I'm, like, I'm not I'm not acquiring the puns. Okay, so how so what does this look like in practice? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like what should if like the CMOs or marketing leaders that are listening are like it. Okay, but how? Yeah, so let's talk about, you know, how do we in operationalize it and how do we institutionalize it, right? Which is always some challenges here. So first is in, in the awareness piece, there is different ways to drive brand awareness. You know, there's this mass marketing approaches in the past. And today's world, mass marketing doesn't work because nobody's listening, right? There's so much noise out there uh, and nobody's listening. So the path to build awareness in, in you know, I think the, the thoughtful path to bring awareness is, is two ways. First is, from my perspective, one is use thought leadership as a way to build brand awareness to earn the right to engage. 100%. Um, Marketo was a playbook for that. At Cooper, for example, we partnered with Economist. Yep, I know. It's a great piece. I saw this. This was like, this is a, a little while yeah, ago, right? Six months ago, right? Yeah, Eight, six months, months ago. ago. Yeah. I, I noticed, I... Uh, I saw that and I was like, man, this is brilliantly done. Kudos to that. Thank I, you. I was, that was going to be, I was going to bring that up later and I'm glad you did. Great I, And piece. so it's a great asset. So for example, if, if if The Economist partners with Coopers and says the strategic CFO in a rapidly changing world, I can take that asset and which CFO would not want to read that the strategic CFO in a rapidly changing world? Totally. So thought leadership gives me a brand awareness, you know, a channel for me to, by earning the right to engage, right? The second- Wait, it, Hold on. And I want to yeah. touch on that one more, a little bit too. What's interesting about this, and I, I, I don't want you to share trade secrets here, but that is not a million person download piece of content, no, it's right? Not. It's and not. it's like, it might be, you know, 400 strategic accounts. It might be, you know, whatever. And that's something we need to think about as marketers when we're thinking about brand awareness. Brand awareness doesn't have to be, do I have every single billboard in every single airport? That's right. Brand millions of impressions or whatever. Impressions. Yeah, totally agree. It's, do the right people know about me, exactly especially right. in the B2B world? It is contextual to the core buyer personas. So here is there are three typical buyer personas in, in every deal, right? And I was going to say the, the psychology of the buyer drives the anatomy of a deal. So that's why it's going back to hashtag, what's the psychology you want to drive? That feeling that drives, okay, so in that context, in every deal, there's a champion. 
there is an economic buyer. In many cases, it's not the champion. And then there is an influencer in as a role. Like for example, it could be the CFO as the economic buyer, the procurement executive as the champion, and the IT executive as an influencer. So from a brand awareness perspective, going back to the point you made, is you want to be targeted and say, am I building brand contextually with these three personas rather than spraying and praying and saying everybody in every you know airport wants to look at me, right? If you're you know a large, large, large company, you can do that. Or if you're a consumer company, that's important. For a B2B company, it's always, what's the best, where would I spend the next dollar is always the question you're asking, right? So going back to the frame, to awareness, right? So thought leadership is one frame, is one way. And the other way is very targeted advertising. I'm not saying don't do advertising. Rather than, you know, doing mass marketing advertising, for example, we advertised, uh, we did our TV ad at the CNBC, you know, two morning shows. Yeah, Because every totally. CFO wakes up in the morning and tries to go see how's the stock market doing, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And so we were right there in front of them to build that brand awareness. So that's the approach in awareness, which is be contextual advertising and thought leadership. I love that you talked about the contextual advertising. The Years and years ago, I ran um I ran a campaign for a company that I worked at. Sure, and it was our first big our first big brand campaign. Great, and you know I I pride myself on being you know the performance marketer and I yeah. performance marketers running a brand campaign and we have to drive awareness. And I came back with I, the whole world doesn't need to know about what we do. We have a thousand accounts we're going spot after. On, spot on. I need to make sure. The people identified it in those thousand accounts know everything about me. I'm going to do this through targeted digital. There's so many great ways to target, not individuals in a creepy, personal, identifiable information <laughs> sort of way, but as close to that as you can get. A lot of to, marketing creeps listening. A lot so. of mark. So yeah, we all, we all know what we can do. But to be surround those thousand accounts, the whole world doesn't need to know. You you are absolutely spot on. And your sales team will love you for that because at the end of the day, they want the fastest path to the most dollars. Totally. And if you can build brand awareness, you know, color this, and if they can go into an account and the the executive buyer says, yep, I heard of you guys. That's, that's. They're great. And then my one other sort of secret hack around doing that is we had to get in front of those thousand accounts. We also needed to get the salespeople excited. So we targeted those the key decision makers and influencers at those 1,000 accounts and our sales team. Awesome, that's cool, very smart. So speaking of which, if I go up the ladder, so if you finished with awareness and those components I talked about, we got we got a CMO pound right there. <laughs> uh, some uh, some daps going down for for that technique. No, she was right. And then if you go up the the ladder, the proverbial stairway to heaven, the next is acquisition, and right and the and the the playbook here is you know what we started with is now go back to personas, understanding your personas, and then understanding your sales segments, right? Companies have different sales segments, totally. market, enterprise, et cetera. And we run a data-driven approach called ideal customer profile yep. to ultimately find the target accounts, going back to the accounts you said, with the highest propensity to buy to increase the fidelity of converting every prospect into a customer. Because that's what the sales guys care about. What is the fastest path to the most dollars? So we've done that using machine learning technology and really kind of said, okay, here are my target accounts. And, and the difference is, you know, you can do spreadsheets and look at three or four variables, and some of these predictive scoring machine learning technologies give you, you know, 25 variables that you can go analyze that humanly it's not possible to do. And ultimately, the goal is to say, okay, now I have a set of thousand accounts I want to go after. And then you run this concept, the three P's, what I call it, is you run your plays, then you run your parlance, your speak, your industry parlance, and then your programs. Let me just double click a little bit on that. Yeah, far away. So the plays are, you can figure out what are my, 
We have a set of product capabilities. What are my three to five plays that I'm going to run by bringing product marketing and demand gen together to help go promote these kind of products into prospects and plays and in a more solution level, right? And, and really talking about the light rather than the candle, meaning people don't buy candles because they want candles, they buy because they want light. Yeah, totally. Right? So talking about the value and what it mm-hmm. does, right? So that's kind of the plays concept. The parlance, the second P, is you want to enable your sales organization to be very contextual in their industry speak when yeah, they speak, speak to like customers. They speak. We just talked about this uh, recently on an episode that should already be live, but this idea that it's so great in a digital world that you can find what people are searching for, you can leverage media and other sort of things to figure out how they're using the words that you want to use. Totally, totally. And, and, and in that context, Obviously, the challenge is if you have 10 sellers, it's easy to do when you have, you know, if you have 1,000 sellers, IBM has 1,000 sellers, how do, IBM has thousands and thousands of sellers, how do you institutionalize it? That's the challenge, right? This is the least common denominator problem because you want your sales guy sitting in, 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 in Abilene, Texas to have the same level of enablement as this one sitting in San Francisco who's always close to the mothership, right? Yeah. And so that's how that, that enable sales enablement becomes important. So we talked about plays, we talked about parlance. The third thing is the programs. And if you forget everything else I said today in this section, the key thing is the shift that we wanna do for us to be successful in the B2B marketing world is go from this concept of inbound and outbound to this concept of all bound. Meaning the point is marketing should be driving a part of or be responsible for sourcing a part of the, the pipeline. Marketing should be responsible for co-driving all of the pipeline. Keyword co-driving, not sourcing, co-driving. I, so then this concept of inbound versus outbound to this concept of all bound. Now, Lauren, you made this concept of, you told me about these thousand accounts mm-hmm. that you did, right? This campaign. And that's what all bound does. While sales is engaging with these accounts, marketing can color the sky scoop of blue, as we call it in our, in our terminology. I love that. Right? Which means we're hitting them with all these digital and physical events. So the change in sequence is typically marketing nurtures and then sales takes over. But when you have longer sales cycles, you can have marketing parallelizing with sales in even deals that are opportunities today. And I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Marketing's job isn't to, here I got this lead, my job, you know what? I'll have a nurture campaign in the background. No, our job Yeah, I get a, I get a, I get a drip campaign. Don't there's a drip campaign, we're fine, right? <laughs> we're good. It's like, no, our job is to, how do we get sales as many at bats as possible? What can we do to, to your point, colored the sky Koopa Blue when we are going to market so that it is as easy as possible for when sales to walk in. You have that additional credibility. Are we setting up field events for them to actually go and spend time meeting with them? Are we continuing to enable the sales organization? And I love marketing source pipeline. It's great, but that's not it's not enough. And if you have these conversations around, well, what is marketing sourcing and what sales sourcing? You're like, we're missing the point. It's totally, and that's that's kind of the, the generation one, you know, 2010 to 2016, 17 era, when you had all these digital marketing platforms, when you had to prove what is what am I sourcing, yeah. the attribution mm-hmm. and stuff. But today, really this concept of, you know, coming together, fishing from the same boat, rather than fishing to two different boats and fishing, you know, using John Miller's analogy, you know, fishing you know for the big fish rather than with a net, with a spear, right? So how does any of this stuff, so I talked about plays, parlance and programs, right? There's all bound programs. So the way we define success, because you can be, be here talking about all this fancy marketing jargon, but the way you define success is for us is two things on this. One, it's the amount of sales accepted pipeline that you have co-driven. 
Remember, I didn't say the word leads. I didn't even say the word opportunities in stage one, et cetera. It is sales accepted pipeline because you have to have the validation of that pipeline that is actually valid pipeline that you're code driving. Mm-hmm. That's one. And the second is win rate. So, you know, product marketing teams at the end of the day are responsible for driving, you know, sales enablement and pricing and positioning and messaging. But no sales guy is going to come and say, I won because that messaging was great. Yeah, exactly. I won right. because it's me, right? Obviously. So how, how, of course, but how do you measure effectiveness is the bottom of the funnel is the win rate. Are you increasing the win rate, the batting average of the salesperson, right? So those are the two things we look at. Like, are we getting sales accepted pipeline based on a goal and are we increasing win rate? Yeah, and I, you know, I like... I like to use the term like gentle reminders, right? There's two things. Salespeople only have so much email capital that they can keep pinging the person about like, hey, did you look at the contract? Did you check out the contract? How's the contract check? Did you check it out? There's like words and stuff on there. <laughs> sure. So, I, like a lot of times when you're giving them reasons to reach out contextually, you're giving them additional at bats, that stuff is super valuable. But the other side of that is giving that that person a, ro- a gentle reminder to reach back out to the sales rep, right? Right, yep. right? And a lot of times that stuff is happening now outside of something that is a controlled asset. And that's the stuff where it's like, you're really increasing that win rate that you're talking about. Right, and it's, you know, you wanna win more, you wanna win bigger, and you wanna win faster. Yeah. So the way we look at it is see more, more pipeline, win more, win that, convert that, and win bigger with ASP and win faster would be a sales cycle. It's as simple as that. Now it's difficult to do and you have to build an engagement stack of using all some of the modern technologies that you have today. But fundamentally from a principal perspective, it's going from this concept of sourcing to the concept of co-driving all of pipeline. Was that easy for you to get buy-in for at Coupa? Were they already in that mindset? Did you drive that mindset? Well, it's it's not easy. However, you gotta start with, you know, what's in it for them and work backwards. And if you kind of explain to sales and saying, if you're going after these, because sales always goes after target accounts, it's nothing new. Mm -hmm. But if I can accelerate the path, the fastest path to the most dollars, and this is the way to do it, and then they lean in more than some marketing site science experiment that you're trying to do, right? How much do you use, I mean, you know, there's a lot of jargon and strategic level thinking that we use a lot of times. How do you blend those strategies and tactics when you're going to convince sales of like, this is it? I mean, it seems like you have a wired tight idea of how selling works there, which I think it probably informs why you've been able to be successful. Is like, I get the sales process, therefore we can influence yeah. this. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you got to speak, not marketing speak, but, you know, human speak, right? And all of this. And in the way you define, like I said, it's win more. Which sales guy or gal guy doesn't want to win more, win bigger, win faster? And that's kind of the three goals we look at and work backwards on how do we enable to go do that. We might not be achieve all three. For example, in some cases you might achieve win more, but not necessarily win faster. But in some cases you can win bigger, but not necessarily win more. So you have to lay, but those are the three things, you know, sales cycle, ASP, and win rate that ultimately matter. So that's starting with that and working backwards. You mentioned something that I thought was really interesting that's that this time from 2010 to 2016 or so and then this I don't want to say chasm because that's a different term but <laughs> new um, era how about yeah that? this new era not new era caps but this new era <laughs> of marketing why do you think that it's anything has changed in the past couple of years because I think you know people are realizing that you know, marketing, it's again, it goes back to R-E-S-P-C-T, right? The, the, getting the seat at the table. And I think people have realized that in today's world, 
seat at the table is to get that trust factor with sales and saying that what is how am I really becoming a trusted partner for you to win and you know fishing on two different boats that could have been good in a model where you had a very clear inbound model distinguished from an outbound model in certain companies but those are all blending today because customer the whole self discovery process of customers have significantly changed and that's driving the way you know your prospects engage with you so i guess that's the answer is being synergistic rather than being siloed is what people have realized that that is the future so this concept of going from leads to accounts is the big aha that has happened. It's not necessarily something that didn't exist, but it's back to the future of of going back to it. And you can do that, you can do that at scale as democratization at scale that's available today, which you didn't have for that before. Yeah, I mean, I mean we talked a ton and we will continue to talk about ABM a lot on this podcast, especially, you know, with with some of the tactics and strategies, but I think that the awareness around the popularization of it, I think is part of the thing that that's exactly right. It's, it's popularization it's a little bit of new wine, old bottle, but <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's new wine in a more technological bottle, I guess, than we It's like the can wine, The right? can wine, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, right, so just to finish the kind of the framework, I talked about awareness, I talked about acquisition. Let me quickly get to advocacy and we'll kind of you know, finish the framework. My guidance on advocacy for, for, for us is, you have to really understand, don't confuse loyalty with advocacy, right? For example, I am loyal to my airline for the last 15 years, but, Am I a brand advocate shouting about them from the rooftop? Probably not. I'm probably a madvocate rather than an advocate. Yes. <laughs> right. I, I think we probably are loyal to the same airline. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so the skies aren't that friendly sometimes. So they're not Koopa Blue. They're not Koopa Blue. There you go. But but really understanding that and, and also understanding that your highest paying customers are not necessarily your most advocates. So you have to delineate between, you know, your passionate advocates, maybe the guy's paying you the lowest, but they really, really like, it. maybe a small company, the guy really likes your product. So don't associate your revenue or what you're getting from the customer to be the biggest brand advocates for you, right? So start with that framework. And then we tell two kinds of stories. There is hashtag do like us and hashtag be like me. So let me double click on that, right? Hashtag do like us is when I'm going and selling to an insurance company or a banking company, we want to tell stories of other banks or other insurance companies being successful. So you're telling, doing contextual selling to that mm-hmm. point. But hashtag be like me is that, you know, the hero behind that individual, that hero behind that thing, they're trying to showcase that personal success story, right? And talk about like, you know, how did they drive that transformation? That A is beneficial for them and B is you can be inspired by saying, hey, listen, that's how you build that community. I want to be part of that person and be part of this community where I can you know, learn, share, and grow with people like that. So that's kind of hashtag do like us, hashtag be like me has been kind of the strategy for advocacy. Now, I, I love that sort of strategy and framework around, around advocacy because I think, and correct me on this, but I feel like the advocacy pieces where so many marketers sort of fall down. Yeah. It's the, I understand who doesn't understand we need to acquire customers and grow revenue? Most of us get we need to drive awareness, but the advocacy piece is the the yeah. piece that so many people miss. Yeah, and we've taken this approach in the past where advocacy means everybody is saying great things about your brand all the time, right? So you go to somebody's website. Every advocacy video is going to say great things because yeah. nobody's going to say the baby's ugly. Mm-hmm. But in software, there are some ugly babies out there, right? So taking that approach of being more authentic, and that's why you know you've seen these voice of customer sites, whether it's G two Crowd or some of these other, where people actually trust that because it has an independent perspective. And mm-hmm. ha- having a negative opinion is fine. No brand is perfect, right? But you have to have a mindset of being authentic about it, and that significantly increases increases your credibility as an organization when you do that. 
Absolutely. And the one of the things we did at Box, I had run the customer experience program at Box. And one of the things that now I wish I had sort of your terminology and framework to, to steal so around. So good, it. right? <laughs> so good. I actually wrote it down. Chandar for the win. Hashtag uh, Chandar for the win. Chandar <laughs> for the win. I like that. And um, we were looking at well, when we're, we're thinking about advocacy, there's customer stories, and everyone has customer stories, which is great. You need customer stories. You need, I'm selling to bank A and look at these banks. But we started to find the people who loved the product, who were just so excited and so amped about the product, aren't necessarily the CIO True. of a Fortune 500. Okay. It could be the IT manager at a school at a mid-market company who just love everything about it. And these are people that you should find, hold on to, figure out ways that you can also give back to them as much as possible. And I was just telling someone about this. One of the things we ended up doing, which you know what? As a revenue-focused marketer, I can tell you I have zero revenue attribution for what I'm about to tell you is we had a Boxworks or a user conference and my team who was running customer experience said, we have some of these advocates that are great. They support us, they call customers. You know what, they're not always happy with us. Sometimes right. they will be the people that will fiercely fight with you because they care, but they are our best customers because of this. We ended up showing up at the airport when they landed at Boxworks. <laughs> We showed up with welcome signs and welcome packets, and it's the, we want you to know that we actually notice and acknowledge everything you're doing for us, and what can we do to make you feel to make you feel special because you know what all the CIOs have plenty of things trying to make them feel special. That's great. That's great because you know I say there is economic love and engagement love Mm -hmm. in advocacy, right? Economic love is the person actually paying the checks and you you mistakenly say that that person has engagement love for your brand. But really your users are the Mm -hmm. ones that have engagement love for your brand and that's the one you need to be shouting from the rooftop, not the guy who's paying the check, right? You know, we, um, I don't think I've told this story on the podcast, but we were a vendor, we are a vendor, actually we were a vendor now, of a product that just was not great. It was just, just a very bad product. And it was one of these sort of scenarios where we'd kind of like reach out to them and be like, hey, you know, this is just not, this is not doing well. And we're like, we reach 3 million people a month. You know, we reach a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, much bigger than probably 99% of your customers. Sure. You should probably put some amount of effort into like answering these questions and doing stuff like we're not going to like, you know. We're not going to laser some somebody or just like flame them for no reason. But, you know, we just unsubscribed and called it a day. But it's kind of one of these things like know who your customer is and what type of network effects that that person totally. has. And people don't want to do the research to do the personalization, to be authentic, to go to that person and just say like, hey, you know, you've been a CIO seven times. You know, you're you're on all these councils, you're on all these boards, you're on all this stuff. You're like a mega influencer in this space. Like I should probably figure out a way to get feedback from you in a value-added way. And I think people just don't want to do the research to figure out the network effects of, of their customers. Completely right. Completely right. There's a lot of goodness and there's God in that. And advocates can really change the, the whole value of your brand if done right. Completely. Um, and it's the the other side of that, which... I have seen and I've also been the the detractor, which I can admit to, but I will never say with uh, <laughs> for whom. But uh, there is the the advocacy side where you have 
marketers, CIOs, whomever that find something that they love, and we will tell all of our peers, whether the company knows about it or not, it is the the things we tell our peers, the things we talk about when you're really passionate and- The lies we tell ourselves. The lies we tell ourselves. And like, as a marketer, I love marketing technology. I love good MarTech and everyone talks about what are you using? What do you have? I still wanna know what you're using for your ideal customer profile, which I wrote myself a note about. And we love talking about it. And what I, I think companies need to do better at really channeling and harnessing that. And then the flip side is, There are times as a customer and as a buyer where we are treated so poorly by by a supplier and that, you know, we'll give them a chance and you'll give them a chance and then they do it again. Like you not only, you're not burning this tiny SMB customer, what you're doing is also now creating this network effect of giving people a reason to whine about your company and now making it just a little bit harder for you to sell the next time. Totally, that's why if you look at Yelp, the advocates are more than the advocates. Mm-hmm. 100%. Because if you're really pissed off about a brand, you go write about it. Yes. If you're reasonably happy, you don't, you, know, you don't write about it. You assume that you know, it's kind of the level of service I wanted. Yeah. So that's why you know, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to, to do it thoughtfully and programmatically to be yes. successful. And then the other piece of that is like, Yelp has actually a really good playbook for this about how to respond to critics because it's, I mean, it's a huge problem right, for, for right. companies um, that have to deal with this. And I did a whole thing with Yelp once upon a time about this stuff. So it's fascinating stuff, but they have a whole playbook for like how to respond with dignity to people who have had a bad I'm experience. Sure yeah. And it's like, man, how many enterprises have that? That mm-hmm. would be a great, we should do a whole episode on that. But like how many enterprises have this thing of, Hey, we got shredded on, you know, G2 Crowd or whatever it is that a way to, you know, respond with dignity or put that stuff on your own Twitter. Like, hey, this person said this, um, you know, put it out there into the wild. I think people are just afraid of it. Totally. Last piece we're going to touch on a little bit is AI. Obviously, AI is a huge, huge behemoth that is coming in both marketing and much more. You've talked about there's there's two AIs, artificial intelligence and authentic interactions. Do you think marketers can have both? I think marketers need to have both to be successful, right? And let's talk a little bit more about it. So when I lay, when I talk about AI, it's really what happening in marketing is machine learning more than artificial intelligence. And Jeffrey Moore has a beautiful way of delineating that and saying, you know, true artificial intelligence is about emulating human intelligence, whereas machine learning is about simulating human intelligence at brute mathematical force. So if you look at a lot of the things that we're using in marketing, whether it's for doing predictive lead scoring or in the social side or in ideal customer profile and all these different things, it's really machine learning more than AI. You need that you know, brute mathematical force, especially when there's so much data that's there today to get the scientific programmatic arts of marketing going. However, what I've talked about, and, and one of the things I said is, it's like saying when I grew up in India, we bought our first color TV in 1981, and we used to call the TV the color TV. <laughs> but three years later, all TVs were color TV. Yeah. So AI is kind of that. Today we say we have apps, and you have apps with AI, but reality, all apps, AI is gonna be an intrinsic part of every app, right? Now, shifting to the other AI, I think the bigger challenge for brands is authentic interactions today, right? And what being authentic as a brand. Now, that word authentic means so many different things. And I've kind of tried to understand as you know as a marketer, what does that mean, right? Because authentic doesn't mean you come and you know take all your you know your baggage and lay it on the table with your boss and saying, I'm being authentic, but I got these things. But as a brand, I feel there's three different aspects of authenticity. Uh, one, 
it's starting a set of core values as an organization, not as a piece of paper, but as a foundational fabric of everything you do and every decision you make with your employees and how do you, the lens through which you'll do that. At Cooper, for example, we have ensure customer success, focus on results, and striving for excellence. Those are just words. Everybody has their threes or fives. Mm-hmm. But what we, we have striven to do is make every interaction, every decision-making point through that lens of those three foundational fabrics with our customers and our employees. How do we promote them? How do we look at them? How do we talk to our customers? How do we define, measure our success, et cetera? So that's one thing about authenticity. The second aspect of authenticity is for us to be transparent, right? Openness and transparency is very key in authenticity. And now you saw in the Southwest Airlines ad, which uh, no extra fees, that's no, trans- tra- Yeah, transparency. No, it's tra- nice play on words, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. But that's true. But if you, if you take that simple concept in an airline price and you extrapolate that to B2B pricing today in large companies, there's all these hidden fees and licensing fees and you know, oh, it's wild. indirect pricing. It's wild, some of these big guys, right? And that's what customers hate, not having that transparency and openness as an organization on how you approach customers and, and not only in pricing, but just you know, you know, how do you define their success and measure their success. That's why I don't want to go on a cruise. Man, you go to Mexico and you're like, like, wait, there's a boat fee and then the Mexico fee and then the cabin fee and then there's like the service fee and the gratuity fee and you're like, like, what are all of these? And that's before you even have a cocktail. Yeah, I know, there right? you go. And you looked at your telephone bill or your phone bill. There's all these extra fees that's coming up there, right? So having that openness and transparency as an organization is very important of being authentic today. And third is probably as important as is accountability. Being authentic is unless we're all going to have a, a mistake as a brand. And you have to be authentic and acknowledging it and as a brand. And, and customers have a higher level of tolerance and forgiveness when they perceive that. So you look at two examples. One is I, I saw the Chipotle thing with E. coli. What happened? And, and you know, they kind of proactively got to that. And of course, you know, the way they approached it with authenticity helped them, I guess, in the long term, will help them with their loyal customers. And, and you, know, you see, you know, what was that Jessica Alba company? The Honest Company. And you have a name like that, guess what? They're intrinsically yeah. coming in. They expect you to be honest, but they had all sorts of problems in terms of lawsuits and stuff like that last year, right? So my point is, you know, you have to bring that accountability angle. So that's why I said live through a lens of core values. Have that transparency and openness as an organization and in, in, in really deep-rooted into you. And three is be accountable, and, and and that kind of builds to how your AI, the authentic interactions as a brand. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I think the big problem that we'll face around this, or a big problem, I should say, is that when people are trying to replace the human interaction right. with a automated interaction and people don't want that interaction like this is the we all experience this when you would call and it would be an automated answering machine and it would and you just be like operator 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 like <laughs> zero, I, zero 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 yeah, zero like zero just smashing zero right and i think that that's the big thing is like people will self-select into the mode that they want to be communed with but <laughs> you can't communicate it with. Uh, <laughs> but th- I think that that's a, a big part of this is like, just because you know you can wield the tool doesn't mean that you should use it every single time. It's a great point. And actually, you know, some of the challenges that some of the, the brands known for customer success are having, for example, you look at a Nordstrom's and you look at you know Zappos, they built years and years of building that being authentic and being on the side. Mm-hmm. But when you now use chatbots as chatbots and stuff to communicate, how do you bring that same level of experience into a digital interaction? And that's why there's this whole new field called brand coding, brand coding that's coming in there saying that how do you bring that feeling of the brand into you know 
AI-based interactions. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, uh, so I talked to the, on different podcasts, IT Visionaries, we talked to the CTO of Stitch Fix, and they're talking about how they blend the like stylistic human-centric sure. stuff with the technologies that they're creating around like fit and all of this, blending right. those two. You know, I think it was Vala Afshar talks about uh, augmented intelligence, right? Like this idea that you're taking, you know, human curation or human design mixed with the things that the robots are good at. Great stuff. Really, really fun stuff. Fine. Let's get in lightning round. Lightning round. All right. Let's do this. It's the lightning round. All right. Fast and easy questions. Just like marketing automation from Pardot. Fast and easy. That's what these questions are. Are you ready? I'm ready, steady, go. You have not seen these ahead of time. I can confirm that. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Well, I haven't had a lot of fun on my phone apart from uh, the regular stuff. Too much work. Too much work and, you know, WhatsApp and all this stuff like that. But, you know, I got a recent ad blocker app and I put it on my phone. So I don't have these annoying CNN videos that are showing up every time I open up the site. So all the apps. So I love my ad blocker app. That's my favorite app right now. That is definitely fun. Pre-roll videos should die a slow death. I like pre-roll maybe fewer no the, the pop-up video you the do pop-ups not are pop-up, horrible. especially yeah, when yeah. you're in a if you're in some corporate setting you're reading something just you know uh, non-intrusively and then this annoying <laughs> video starts playing yeah sorry so. i meant well so let Pop me up. let me say two things number one it's wild that we just took three minute four minute two minute videos and slap on these pre-roll ads and or these pre-roll video ads and just were like hey it's tv but littler let's just do it so that drives me crazy because that i think it ultimately wastes like (laughs) years and years off people's lives just like tv ads did second thing the pop-up video's gotta go that's gotta go it's gotta go freaking crazy i i will agree with you on pop-up videos i like me some pre-roll like as a marketer i just i like the pre-roll people need to we need to pay our artists pre-roll helps pay them no i agree i i'm, I'm not i'm not a hater on pre-roll i just think but it's pop-ups like are we, the got, worst. we gotta have a figure we gotta figure out a better way to you guys should do a separate podcast on this it's yeah we should topic. i love it what is your favorite book you've read recently that's a good question i actually when i left marketo can I give a bigger answer to this question? Uh, sure. Right. We can be as, yeah. But so lightning, when I left lightning Marketo, sometimes one of the, strikes many times. Yeah. When I left Marketo, the, one of the best gifts I've ever got in my life is my team. Each one of them gave me the best book they've ever read with a note to me. Right. I actually cried. It was such, such a great, great, great. One of the, one of the ladies who used to, I used to support came to my house and saw an empty shelf and said, that's what we're going to hold. They're all going to give it to me. Right. So I got a lot of uh, uh, great books to, to, to read. You know, recently I read Into Thin Air, Right. I haven't read that book in the 90s when it came out, but I actually read that, this whole concept of what happened in Everest in 1996. I'm really fascinated by that. So I thought it was a great, great nonfiction book about what happened. And it was really, it was a page turner. Like I literally started, I couldn't put it down. So it's a great book. What ad campaign have you seen recently that you're most envious of? I saw, I saw a real, in B2B, it's very difficult to have great campaigns. I saw The Wolf by HP which Christian Slater, that yeah. was beautifully done for HP. So I said, Matt, that is great for a B2B. And of course, there's a lot of B2C campaigns I like, but it's not I'm envious because I'm not going to replicate that. Mm-hmm. But that was a great for a B2B company selling printers and security that was beautifully done by HP. I'm, and I can't believe I'm saying that it's HP, but it was great. So. <laughs> Other than this one, what's your favorite podcast? <laughs> Revisionist History by 
by Malcolm Gladwell is something I've been listening for the last couple of years and I really, really like it. And the way he approaches it and the topics there about little known things that have had great impact is is is, is awesome. Do you have a favorite sport? Uh, to play and to watch, I have two. So yeah. to play, my favorite sport is tennis. And to watch, my favorite sport is NFL football. So I'm a big fan of the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, all right. Right, so I'm a, you know, and I've been waiting for, 23 years since we won the Super Bowl. So I guess we'll win one in my lifetime, hopefully. Got my guy, Murray Cooper. There you go. Um, I'm a Raiders fan, so it's tough. The world's tough out there. So you're a musician. What do you play? Tell us yeah, about it. Yeah, it's a good question. So I grew up playing a little bit of drums. Again, my passion is more than my talent. And uh, I actually, you know, my wife was away for some time on, on a business trip, uh, an extended period of time. So I actually, you know, bought a new drum set and took lessons again for it. So I'm kind of going to do that. <laughs> And then second, I love karaoke. So no uh, way. Yes, really? yes, I'm a big karaoke fan. And even last weekend we had a karaoke party. So I love you know again, my passion is exponentially higher than my talent, but I bring it. Right, so what's your what's your go to karaoke song? So I have a few. So I like CCR. Proud Mary is one of my songs. <laughs> um, love some I do CCR. like uh, love Roadhouse Blues, The Doors, and I probably would do Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. So my dad always used to say, "Make a joyous noise." But never, never specified that uh, it had to be a good noise, just has to be a noise, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, what thing are you most excited about for the future of marketing? I think it's at the great intersection point of, you know, bringing that science and storytelling together. And I think that's really exciting for marketing. For me, what's exciting is that we're a little bit back to the future in marketing. Because if you really think about it, we think, we feel, we do. Right, and you have all these technologies, artificial intelligence and stuff coming in, and you know, kind of trying to automate the do jobs for sure, and potentially a lot of the think work. But the feel, the the storytelling, and that aspect, I think, is coming will come back as the primary marketing kind of you know attribute that we lost it for a few years because we've been we've kind of shifted too much to the data driven side. But I'm excited that you know every marketer can maximize the skills as a storyteller. They'll be awesome. Yeah, I I love that. And I think one of the things that I'm excited for is people to figure out how to get like advertising jingles back in people's lives. You're, they're so memorable. They're so catchy. It uses a part of your brain that's like hardwired for thousands and thousands of years to like remember these musical jingles and we can all do it. But now we're like, when was the last time you heard a like catchy, you know, oh. jingle? Totally. Well, I was going to sing the nationwide jingle, but- um, You were going to sing- My- uh, <laughs> My talent on this one is um, in the negative. So <laughs> in the negative, there you yes, go. I want people to keep listening to the Marketing Trends podcast, and me singing that nationwide is on your side is going to be uh, not helpful. They've had some good marketing. They've had some good, very good. Both. Oh, in fact, some, most some of the insurance companies. I mean, insurance and car companies have done well. Progressive done really good in the campaigns. Oh, too. I really and like the, the state oh, farm actually, ads. The, and the State Farm that was that was a new jingle. That was a good one too. It's a good jingle. Um, that's it for the lightning round. Thanks to our friends at Pardot for paying the bills here and for just being an awesome partner in general. We love Pardot. You will too. Pardot.com. Check them out. That's all we got, man. What What else? Anything else? Anything to plug? No, I think I've given a lot of stuff. We talked anything from tribe building to stairway to heaven to authenticity. So I think there's a lot of content there, but I really enjoyed the time, guys. Thank you for having me. Oh, and follow you on Twitter. At ChandarP. At ChandarP. Uh, ChandarP at LinkedIn too. So hit me up and happy to engage with you guys. 
Thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks, Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.